As we continue our series called Bible Stories, we are in Daniel chapter 3 today. If you would open up to Daniel chapter 3 or get there in your phone. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to talk about a story that was one of my favorites as a kid. In fact, all these ones we've been talking about this month are ones that were my favorites when I was a kid. And, uh, and this one is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their real names. Their real names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And uh, that won't get you anything except for maybe like you'll win trivia night or something. But uh, that's about it. It won't win you any points anywhere. And, uh, and it's, it's just interesting because what had happened is these guys are, are uh, young counterparts, young friends of acquaintances of Daniel. And when they were taken into captivity into Babylon, these four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, all kind of came to power, came to uh, positions of authority in Babylon. And the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, gave them Babylonian names, names that were after the, the names of the Babylonian gods rather than the Jewish god. And so that's, anyway, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was way more information than you cared to know about them. But uh, I will keep calling them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just for the ease of conversation. So here is what has happened. King Nebuchadnezzar is this incredibly arrogant king. He's been king for a few years. And King Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue of himself covered in gold that's about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And so he really likes himself a lot and uh, builds kind of a big, you know, monument to his glory and he commands that whenever the people of the land hear the band playing and the trumpeters and the harps and the lyres, whenever they hear the music, they are to wherever they are, whatever they're doing, stop and turn towards the golden statue and bow down and worship it. And so Hananiah, Mishael, oh, see, I did it, sorry. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, these three guys, they decide that they're not going to do that, that they serve the Lord, they're servants of the Lord, and they're not going to quit being servants of the Lord no matter what. So pick up with me if you would, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, I just usually say the band, and music of every kind will fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship it shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden image that you have set up. Uh, I would like to point out here that the problem that these people have with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego isn't that they are uh, disobeying the edict of the king. The problem that they have is that these other guys who are ratting on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these other guys are Babylonians, Chaldeans. They want to be in powers of position, and these slave Jews, these people who were uh, kind of the spoils of war, who had been taken into captivity in Babylon, these slave Jews are now in leadership in the country, and it kind of ticks them off. And so what they're doing is they see this as an opportunity to remove the competition, okay? That's what they're seeing this as. So, verse 13, then King Nebuchadnezzar, I, I will tell you, reading out of my Bible now, I am beginning to see my age, because now I'm having to kind of like put it here, um, and I, you know, some of you are like, oh, wait, just wait, you know, but like, 
You have to understand that this does not feel like fair to me. I, I cannot forget that like a year and a half ago, I was at the eye doctor. I go about every 18 months, right? And, and about a year and a half ago, I was there. And she goes, do you feel like you need readers yet? I have pretty bad vision as it is. She goes, do you feel like you need readers or anything? I was like, no, I'm good. And not, not the next week, I was fixing something in the kitchen. And it was kind of late afternoon. We didn't have any lights on yet. And I got this box out. And I was trying to see the instructions. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it's happening. And so... Uh, <laughs> But I, I'm, I will tell you that I'm going to lean into it hard, and I'm going to have like 40 pairs of readers, and I'm gonna, you're going to be so amazed by all my cool readers that I eventually have. Uh, I, I want the ones, Mike is making fun of me already, I want the ones like the dude, uh, like Mike Wolf on American Pickers, you know, that, that are magnetic and hang around your neck, you know, and then they, anyway, uh, I'm just going to lean into it super hard, like, anyway, it'll be fun. All right, so we're in verse 13, I can see that number now. We're in verse 13. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the band, right, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, that's well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Who could possibly save you, Nebuchadnezzar says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to defend ourselves to you in this matter. If this be the case, in other words, if you throw us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed towards them, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of his mighty men of his army to tie them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and all their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they said, Yes, king, this is true. And he answered, Then how do I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt? And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and all the king's counselors gathered and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these, men's, oh, these men. The hair of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship the God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid in ruin, for there is no other God who is able to rescue this way. That's the story. I love it. And typically when it gets taught, uh, there's so many beautiful things to pull from this text. I, I'm going to focus really on verse 29. 
I'm going to focus on anybody who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. And, and here's why I'm going to focus on that. I want you to think about this for just a moment, all right? You have three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are um, not worshiping, not because they're, not because they're trying to, to you know, thwart the king. They're not bowing down and worshiping the idol because the idol is not God. And, and their worship is reserved for God, Yahweh God, true God. I will tell you that in our culture, more and more, you are going to hear people say, well, yeah, you call God Yahweh or you call God Jesus, but we call him this. And I, I'm going to tell you that more and more in, in the world system, there is a blending of religions where people are just saying, yeah, it's all the same thing. It is not all the same thing. There is one God. There is one God in heaven who has sent his son Jesus to die for us, and faith in him alone saves you, and all else is a lie. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that, which is why they won't bow down to worship. And these these competitors of theirs, if you will, who really want the positions that these three guys have go, hey, king, you know, how you're, you know your decree, right, that people need to bow down and worship the idol. Well, these three guys aren't. There had to have been others who weren't, maybe who didn't hear, but these are the three guys that get singled out because these are the guys they're trying to eliminate the competition. Nebuchadnezzar brings Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. He says, hey, guys, listen, I'll give you one more chance. I'll have the band play. When the band plays, you get to worship, and if you don't worship, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And they said, king, listen, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. We're not going to serve any God but the living God. That's the only one for us. And he's so angry over this. He has the furnace heated really hot. He gets his strongest soldiers to come and tie them up, right? There's no way that they're going to be able to escape this. He has them cast them into the fiery furnace. I have no idea what this looks like. I have a lot of children's Bibles growing up. I've had a lot of pictures of this in my head. Some of them had staircases. Some of them were like a big oven that you open the door and throw them in. I don't know, okay? But there is a big furnace big enough for four people to fit into. And the soldiers that throw these three guys in are so consumed by the heat that it burns them up. I'll give you an example. You can think about this. I remember being a freshman in college, Texas Tech, as Micah would say, in the 80s. And uh, it was actually early 90s. But uh, I was at Texas Tech, and we had a frog leg fry uh, the last game of every season because we played TCU the last game of every season back then. And we had this big frog leg fry, and it was cold, and I had this big puffy down coat. I've never been cool in my life. Puffy down coats were not cool in 93 uh, in Lubbock, Texas, but I had one, and I, you know, I was sitting here like this. And I was next to this bonfire staying warm. It was very cold. It was a November game. And, and I was trying to stay next to this bonfire. Well, the thing about the down coat is that it was so well insulated that I didn't realize how hot I was until too late. And then suddenly I'm ripping my coat off because my back is just feels like it's burning. And I rip my coat off and I throw it down. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And I get back to my dorm that night. And when I, it, before I even turn on the light, I throw down my coat and I see this, like, puff of something. And when I turn on my light, feathers are everywhere because the back of my coat had melted. Um, had just melted off, and I was leaving a trail of feathers everywhere that I, I went. So, so that was, you know, a 12-foot bonfire that I was like eight feet from. This is a furnace, and these guys that carry up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the heat is so hot that the heat kills them. And they throw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king, and in my head, this is always funny because, you know, he's thrown in three guys, but he's counting four. And in my head, this is Ryan's version of it, of course, right? And if you're listening to this rather than watching the video, it won't make as much sense. But, but in my head, he's sitting there next to his servant, you know, and, he, and he's counting. And he's counting again because he's getting four when he's counting, and he should be getting three. And he turns to his servant, and he goes, how many guys did we throw in there? And the servant says, three. And he goes, 
I'm counting four. Like, I see four guys in there in the sermon school. Yeah, there's four, right? You know, and, and so he's like, what? The fourth one looks like an angel, like a son of God. And he goes, go and let him out. And I wonder, like, has the fire cooled down enough? Like, he's turning to the guys and going, hey, go and let him out. And I'm just thinking, I just watched my friends get burned up by throwing, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, the whole scenario is kind of funny to me. And he opens the door and he goes, come on out. And they come out and, and all their clothes are intact and their hair is intact. And I mean, I, I've had friends who got too close to the fire and lost eyebrows. You know what I mean? But these guys are coming out. They're unsinged, Right. And they have no ropes. And I've heard people preach, you know, like sometimes when we go through the suffering, God removes the bondages of the ropes. And there's all sorts of like beautiful imagery. But there's a main point to this text. And the main point of this text is who God is. It's the declaration of who God is. And And then Nebuchadnezzar is flabbergasted at this. And he's going, oh, my goodness. He goes, no God can save like your God can save. Which, by the way, is true even in the scope of eternity. There is no God, little g, that can save like our God, big G, can save. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree, and it, it, would have, it wouldn't have been a mass email or like, you know, a, you know, iPhone blast or anything like that. It would have been like this post that went out to all these towns that said, anybody who mocks the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be laid to rubble. And I've got to think that somebody in some part of Babylon's domain, which was, they were the ruling world force at this point. So it wasn't just Babylon, it was the world, that their half of the world that they were dominating. And I've just got to imagine that somebody somewhere gets this notice and goes, oh my goodness, like, who, who is this? And we've got to find out who this God is. We've got to find out who the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is. Why? Because I don't want it to cost me my life. You with me? I forgot to give you this early on. I'm sorry because I got engrossed in the story. Here's what we have on tap today, and it's important that I give you this now. Here's our theology. God works for his highest glory. That's our theology today. God works for his highest glory. Our application today is this. Our lives are wonderfully spent in pursuit of God's glory. Our lives are wonderfully spent in pursuit of God's glory. And our prayer today is this. God, give us a desire to glorify you in our life and in our death. See, listen, we could, we could, and, and I don't know that it would be completely unfair, but we could make the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about their bravery to stand up against an unjust king or their, their boldness for the true God in the face of idolatry. We could make it about that, but I, I prefer to make the scripture be about God and his glory and his exaltation because here's what happened. In this moment, th- this... this uh, kind of rebellion of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the impact and had the effect of making a declaration. At this point, what would have been basically a worldwide declaration of the God who saves. The world now comes to know this thing, this story. Hey, there is a God who saves even from fire. There is a God who rescues even from certain death. There is a God who is worthy of worship, who is higher in power and form and beauty and majesty than any of the idols that we serve, than this piece of stone I've been bowing down to, than the stars that I'm praying to, than the river that I've dipped my kids in in the hopes that... God would fill them with some sort of strength. And so what is happening is that the name of God, because of their obedience to God, is being broadcast to the world. God works for his highest glory. 
God is working here in this case, in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for his glory. Not theirs, not for their honor, not for their reputation, not for their esteem, not so that people will pat them on the back, not so that people will praise them or write songs about them. God is working this so that his name and his power and his renown can be known in the earth. Now, this is interesting to me. In John chapter 11, there's a guy named Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus dies. He's dead for four days. God, Jesus, goes to the tomb, has the stone rolled away, and he speaks into the tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out. But the very beginning of John chapter 11, a messenger comes to Jesus and his disciples, and they say, hey, your friend Lazarus, the disciple you love, he's sick to the point of death. And Jesus says, this sickness will not result in his death, but in the glory of God. That's what he says. This sickness will not result in death, but it's for the glory of God. Now, I should point out to you that Lazarus died. But that wasn't the result. <laughs> that was just temporary. Okay? And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up, and he, he goes to Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and both the sisters say to Jesus the same thing. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus says, show me where you laid him. They roll away the tomb. Jesus speaks into the tomb. Lazarus come out. And again, Ryan version in my head, I'm just wondering how many people the naysayers are going, this guy's insane. Until from the darkness comes this shadowy figure wrapped in cloths, and then people are changing their tunics, right? That would be this, you know, their undergarments, if you will. And Jesus, or Lazarus steps forward, and, they, and he goes, untie him and take him home. Now, here's an interesting little thing in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, they are looking to put Jesus to death. They've been looking to put Jesus to death for three years. But they're looking to put Jesus to death. But in John chapter 12, it makes this little interesting side note, and it says, and they were also seeking to put Lazarus to death because on account of Lazarus, many were following Jesus. Catch that. They were not following Lazarus. But on account of Lazarus, they were following Jesus. When Jesus said at the beginning of John chapter 11, this will not result in death, but for the glory of God, there was a purpose in it. This wasn't so that people would come from miles around to see Lazarus and have that be the end of the story. This was so that people would come from miles around to see Lazarus and then put their faith in God. God is working for his highest glory. Even in the death of Lazarus, which was temporary. Even in the non-death of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was miraculous. But in John chapter 12, the day before Christ is crucified, Jesus says this, Father, my heart is troubled. What should I say? Save me from this hour. This is John 12, 27. Father, my heart is troubled. What should I say? Save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason that I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And God answers from heaven and says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus going to the cross was about the glory of the Father. Jesus going to the cross was so that God could be magnified in the earth. So that when we tell people, God loves you, and you go, man, I don't know if I believe that. And you're like, listen, he loves you so much, he sent his son to die on your behalf, to bear away your sins, to overthrow the power of sin, to defeat the grave. God loves you so much. So Jesus going to the cross isn't, isn't with the end that we would just look at Jesus on the cross, which is a great thing to look at, but that we would look beyond that to God the Father who sent his son to do that on our behalf. 
that the glory would land at the feet of the Father, that we would make much of who God is because of what Christ has done for us. And Jesus died, and his death was temporary. Lazarus, four days. Jesus, three days. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, zero days. But at the end of John chapter 21, Jesus is talking with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, then disciple my sheep. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Peter was saddened the third time because Jesus said, do you love me? And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, there's some really cool nuances in that text we can talk about Wednesday night. But here's the point of it. Jesus then says to Peter, he goes, right now you get up and you go wherever you want to go. But there will come a time that people will stretch out your arms and take you to a place where you do not want to go. And it said this, this was to signify the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter stayed dead. Jesus had just told Peter, listen, you're going to do whatever you want to do right now. There will come a day that people will lead you to your death. And John, the author, says this was to signify the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, I, I don't want to leave it here. And have you think that the only way we can glorify God is to die or nearly die or die temporarily? Because then you're going to be a little nervous, you know? So here's the application. Our application is this, and I, I need this, maybe more than any other application I've ever given you, I need this to really resonate with you. Our lives are wonderfully spent in pursuit of God's glory. I grew, up, um, I grew up under a few teachers who kind of said, look, even if it's hard and even if it's miserable and even if you don't like it, do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And I don't hold to that kind of theology. I hold to the kind of theology that says that God is worth serving and that it is glorious to serve God and that it is delightful to serve God and that it is wonderful and, and filled with with power and delight. Like, this is an Acts 16 thing for me where Paul and Silas are beaten and chained in a prison and they're worshiping God even though everything in, this, in their life looks cruddy in that moment. Like, God is worth knowing. I tell our, our boys regularly that God is worth knowing. And, and, and I want you to understand that our lives aren't woefully spent but wonderfully spent in pursuit of the glory of God. Like, this is, a, this is a joy and a delight and an empowerment and a richness, a richness and a pleasure. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 16 of God, it says, in his right hand are pleasures everlasting, in his presence eternal joy. Like, that is the God we serve. Pleasures everlasting, eternal joy, that, that God is the, the source and the root and, the, and the, the wellspring of all life and hope and joy and peace and passion and happiness. Like it all rests at the feet of this holy God we serve. So when I say our lives are wonderfully spent in pursuit of God's glory, this isn't, it may cost us our lives, but that is wonderful. That there is a, a joy to it. Our lives are wonderfully spent in pursuit of the glory of God. You know, Paul says it this way, and, and he's still talking about life and death, but Paul says it this way in Philippians 1.20. He says, I am of good courage, and I am certain. Okay? Sorry, I'm going to quote it wrong because my head is elsewhere right now. Give me a second. Philippians 1. 
verse 20 says this. It is my eager expectation and hope. There it is. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But with good courage, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Christ will be glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to live, verse 21, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, it is my eager expectation. It is my deep hope. Please keep in mind, not 2020 version of hope, where it says, I hope this happens. I wish this happens. Fingers crossed. When he's using this Greek word here, he means uh, a confident assertion. He goes, it is my eager expectation. It is my fullness of confidence that Christ will always be exalted in my body, whether it's by my life or by my death, for to live as Christ and to die as gain. He goes, if I go on living, I'll make much of Christ in my life. And if I die, I get to see him face to face. So, so hear me say this. Our aim, the wonderful, beautiful goal of the Christian life is to bring God glory with every breath we take until we take no more breaths and then we get to bring him glory in that too. Not only in how we die, but after we die, when we close our eyes in death and then open them in the presence of the King Eternal. To bring him glory in that moment. This is a wonderful opportunity. Most people spend their lives seeking to make much of self, seeking to exalt self, seeking to be recognized. And listen, look, uh, be excellent at your work. Be excellent in your family. Be excellent in your education. Be excellent in the things that you pursue. But be excellent in them with the goal of glorifying God. Make much of God in this. Have much, have little, be successful, be a pauper, be someone who is well-liked, be someone who is obscure and unknown, but make much of Jesus. I don't have time to give you the entire history of the text, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Here's the short version of it. There were a group of people in Corinth who were eating meat sacrificed to idols. They said, we know that an idol has no value. We're just eating the meat that we bought in the market. It was meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. We know that an idol has no value. And we're still worshiping God. But what was happening is some of the new believers were kind of undone by this. Some of these new believers who yesterday, for example, had been worshiping idols and now are worshiping God, they'd see these uh, strong believers eating meat sacrificed to an idol, and the new believer would go, wait a minute, are we supposed to worship God or are we supposed to worship the idol? It was causing doubt and confusion. And so Paul just said, look, it doesn't matter if you eat meat sacrificed to an idol. We know that an idol is nothing. And he said, but in everything you're doing, make sure that the intent of it is the glorification of God. So have, have as your concern, how is this glorifying God? Okay, what we try to do too often as Christians is we try to mandate music and clothing and hobbies and dietary things. And we try to mandate all these things. and We try to have all these rules. Uh, what we need to understand is that that like usually our rules, you know, West Texas 2020 cultural rules don't work in like a village in India. Okay, what we need to understand is that what we can say to the West Texas believer is the same thing that we can say to the believer in India, whatever you're doing, do it with the aim of glorifying God. Do it with the aim of making much of Jesus. I tell my boys all the time uh, that I don't care what they grow up to be. Um, 
I, I don't care. Uh, like, I, I think that when I was growing up, I was kind of under the impression, I, can't, I honestly cannot remember anybody ever saying this to me, but I was kind of under the impression that if you were a good Christian, that, you, that your aim was to be a missionary or be a pastor of some sort, that that was kind of the end goal, you know? Uh, if you were a good Christian, you threw out and broke all your secular CDs or tapes, you know, and you pulled out, you know, like if you were a good Christian, you didn't hang out with certain types of kids. If you were a good Christian, you know, you were home by 10 o'clock at night or whatever the rule was, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I just think like, man, like what if, what if our aim, instead of trying to uh, micromanage everybody's behavior. What if our aim was to say this? Look, glorify Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Like, I, I just want to remind you for just a moment. This is something we spent a lot of time on in January and February. I just want to remind you for a moment that your righteousness and your ability to be pleasing to God does not swing upon the pendulum of your conduct. It's dependent upon your faith. You were righteous because of faith. You were holy because of faith. You were pleasing to God because of faith. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. Our righteousness, who we are in Christ, depends upon our faith. What we declare about Jesus, what we believe about God. Now, God will do things in your life that brings your conduct more into conformity of his. But I will tell you that off the top of my head, I am, I am, I am way less concerned now with your musical taste than I am that you know that there is a God in heaven who loves you. Like, what if, what if that was the aim of our lives? What if the aim of our lives, that whatever we did, what if, what, if, what if we said, look, okay, I'm not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not being faced with a fiery furnace. I'm not in a position of authority over an entire country. It's not likely that the entire known world will come to know God through who I am. But what if I took the attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said that said, no matter what, our, our worship is for God? What what an impact that would have in our workplaces. What an impact that would have in our families. What an impact. Like, I will tell you this. Um, I told you, I think, last week or the week before that I, I am just not a great evangelist. Remember Stranger Danger? You know, like, uh, my boys have laughed a couple of times this week about the whole candy thing from last week. If you weren't here uh, essentially a person that I did not know, a stranger pulled over to ask me directions. And my mom, who was coming around the corner in her car, saw me leaning in the window of this other car talking to a stranger. And after the stranger drove away, my mom was yelling at me and she was like, how dare you do that? Uh, and I was like, mom, he was asking for directions. He wasn't trying to give me candy because all growing up, I thought that the only way that bad guys tried to get you was with candy. My whole life I've been said, I've been told, if somebody offers you candy, don't go. And I'm thinking, he wasn't doing that, I'm safe. He was asking for directions. So uh, I'm, I'm not the brightest, you know, bulb. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, if I'm a spoon, I'm a slotted spoon. And so, uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, which is only good for getting chunks of stuff out, but not good for soup. You know, let's just be honest. And so uh, I, I'm not a great evangelist. So I have friends that I've told you about that, like, everywhere they go, every conversation they have, they want to get to the heart of whether or not somebody knows Jesus. For me... My aim is just to make much of Jesus in everything I'm doing. 
Jesus is never far from, and I'm not saying that one is right or one is wrong. I'm just saying that different personalities have different tendencies. Some of you are more introverts. You, you've really liked 2020. You've liked the whole quarantine thing. It has given you an excuse to just stay home. I read a post the other day by a guy that said, one of my favorite things about being an introvert in 2020 is whenever somebody calls me and says, hey, do you want to go do such and such? I can respond to them in a pandemic. And they leave me alone, you know? Oh, yeah, it's true. Maybe we shouldn't. Like, so, so some of you are like, this is the best year ever. I haven't had to see anybody. I don't have to smile. Like, anybody ever feel awkward? Like, how, what do you do? What do you do when you're passing somebody, not even pandemic, I'm just talking greeting-wise, do you just ignore the person walking past you? If you make eye contact, do you give them the head nod, you know, or the head dip, you know? I, I, I've always thought, this is just me, I've always thought the head nod was a little bit of like, I'm better than you. This is just me. Don't take this like personally, but I overthink this stuff. Like I'm looking down my nose at you like, yeah, I see who you are. You know, whereas the head dip was a little bit more humble, like, hello, you know, like, you know, I I cannot tell you since junior high, how many times I've had this thought late at night and I still think about it. And every now and then I'll be like, oh man, I gave him the head nod instead of the head dip. They're probably thinking I'm a jerk now. I don't know if you do that. Probably not. It's just me. But here's what I want you to know. Even a guy as screwed up as me can do all things for the glory of God. The aim, the aim is that people will know who God is. The aim is, and and sometimes here's the way it happens. Sometimes the way it happens is you just love people a little bit better than somebody else does. And you're just a little more gracious than somebody else is. And I cannot tell you, the list is, is long and beautiful, but I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and just said, what's different? What is it that's different? And now I don't have to be an evangelist. Now they're coming to me and they're asking me questions and then I can just go, well, it's Jesus. One of the things that I always do when I go through a drive-through uh, is uh, the person will say, "Welcome to so and so. Can I take your order?" And I always say, "Hey, how you doing today?" Always, just do. Um, and uh, like years ago, I don't know, six, seven years ago, Pearson and another friend of ours and I, we were going up to Lubbock, and I had I had gone through this drive-through to get uh, a tea on my way to Lubbock to preach there, and I had just said, "Hey, how you doing today?" And she said, good, thanks. And I said, okay, well, great. I'm glad to ha- hear you're having a good day. And I said, I'd like an unsweet tea. And I pulled up and she goes, oh, thanks. You're really nice. And I should have said something to her. I should have said, well, you know, God has been really good to me. I should have just said something, but I didn't. And so the following week, we're coming back through. It's been a week. And I pull in. And this time I have some friends with me. And I'm getting us some drinks. And I'm like, hi, how you doing today? And she goes, it's you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's me. Here, that told me two things. One, no one ever says, how you doing? If a week later she's like able to know, like I don't live in this town, it's just the town I'm going through. And, and then two, it made an impact. So when I got to the window, she goes, why are you so nice? And I had just been telling the guys, I missed my chance last week to say anything about Jesus. And so she goes, why are you so nice? I said, because God in heaven has been so good to me. And that was it, that was the whole experience. But my aim in that moment was the glory of God. Does that make sense? I'm not asking you to be different from who you are. I'm just asking the intentionality of your actions to perhaps be different than they are. You you go to work and you think, I got to go to work because I got to put food on the table. Great. I get it. I mean, I joke all the time that I need to get a haircut and a real job, but I get it, you know? 
Like, I, I understand. Like, we're trying to put food on the table. But what if, what if while we're at work where our aim is to put food on the table, our real aim, our aim higher than that is, how do I honor God in this? How do I, according to Colossians, work as though I'm working for God and not for man? How do I make this a situation where God can be glorified in my life? Most of us, thank God, right now, in this moment, don't have to worry about how we're going to glorify God in our death. But that'll come. And when it does, we will. But how do we glorify him in this moment? See, God is working all things for his highest glory. That's really what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is about. He wanted his name to be proclaimed in the earth. You and I, our lives are wonderfully spent when they're spent for the glory of God. And here's our prayer today. God, give us a desire to glorify you in our life and in our death. Some of us, it's just the, the misconnect, the disconnect is just because we think, I want to come to church and I want to worship God, and this is fantastic. But you've got 167 hours after this one until we see you again. God, I want to glorify you in my life and my death. That doesn't mean you got to go tell every coworker, every employee, every boss tomorrow, listen, I need to share with you the four spiritual laws. I need to give you the Romans road to salvation. It doesn't mean that. It means that your decision-making, your attitude, your joy, your passion, your delight is about making much of God. The God in heaven who saves, the only God who saves. Take a moment, if you would, just right where you are, and would you just spend some time in prayer? Pray with your spouse, your friend, your loved one, pray by yourself, and just say, God, give us a desire to glorify you in our lives and in our death. exalt in your name. We exalt that you are higher than us. We exalt that you are holy. We exalt that you are good and gracious and God. And we are none of those things apart from you. You are righteous. You are magnificent and wonderful. And God, our very life and breath has been given to us by you. You know the number of our days before one of them came to pass. You know, every single thing we would suffer, every single blessing that we would inherit or receive. God, you know uh, the hairs on our head and the breath that fills our lungs. And so, God, may we live lives that hold that, uh, those truths. That we, may we live lives that hold those truths in mind. May we live lives that are for the purpose of proclaiming your worth and proclaiming your glory. So that when people ask us why, 
the answer won't be for self or security. It won't be for prestige or fame. The answer will be because we serve the God who saves. In the midst of our hardships and in the midst of our joys, Lord, may our aim be you. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.